Isaiah chapter 64. And so this morning we're not going to have it read out before we start, but we're going to spend most of our time in that chapter this morning and I'll be reading it as we go through. And this morning I want to ask you a simple question and we can throw the slide up on the screen for this morning's message. There's just one slide in it and ask you this simple question, what are you waiting for? This is the, the, the thing I want to ask this morning. This is the one point of this entire message this morning is what are you waiting for? So sometimes when we ask this question, we, we, what we really mean is why are you waiting? What's the thing that's keeping you from proceeding? And that's not what I mean this morning. This morning I mean what? What are you waiting for? If you've got a pen, I encourage you, or in, at least in your mind, to circle that word what on your bulletins, because that's what we're talking about this morning, what? What are you waiting for? Not who, not why, not how, not when, but what are you waiting for? What is the thing that you are waiting for? What are you hoping for God to do in your life? In what way are you waiting for God's rule and reign, His kingdom to burst through into this world and manifest itself in your life? What are you waiting for for your community? What are you waiting for for your church? What are you waiting for for your family? What are you waiting for? Today is the first day of Advent. And so Advent literally means, it comes from a Latin word, but it literally means coming. And so traditionally, this is a season of waiting for Jesus' coming. It's a, it's a season where we celebrate Jesus' first advent, that is His first coming, the, the, the birth of Jesus. Um, this is a manger scene, um, the birth of Jesus into the manger. We celebrate that first advent of Jesus, but we also remember that He promised to return and so we, we receive the promise of His first coming and we await His second coming. Advent is a season of waiting hopefully, expectantly, eagerly waiting for Jesus. This time not to be born into a manger, but to come upon the clouds with glory, as he says. So it's a season for waiting. It's a season for waiting for God to break through into our world. And so around the story of Jesus, we, we find these people who it says of them that they were waiting in Luke 2.25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means the restoration of Israel as God promised and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This man called Simeon was waiting for God to break through and manifest his presence in the consolation of Israel. In Mark 15, 43, this is after Jesus' death, we read of Joseph of Arimathea. It says, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And so Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Joseph was waiting for the kingdom of God. And so this morning, again, I just want to ask you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And so the passage I've asked you to open to, chapter 64 of Isaiah, is a, a passage about waiting on God. 
This is written in the context of, of, of post-exilic Israel. That, that means that Israel and Judah have been destroyed. God's people, the nations that, that existed um, of God's people have been destroyed and their inhabitants have been exiled to um, Babylon and Assyria and, and Jerusalem and the temple is in, in ruins. And at this time, it's likely that, that the people are returned to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is not yet restored. They're returned home, but they're not a restored people. You couldn't call them a nation. You could probably call them a group of people hovering in tents in ruins. And so they're waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. It's a cry of God to break through the heavens and manifest His presence on earth. In verse 1 and 2 of Isaiah 64, it says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. This is a cry for God to break through from the heavens and manifest His presence on earth. The prophet says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. This is desperation. This is eagerness. This is emotional cry waiting for God to break through. Um, I can't read Hebrew, so I have to trust uh, biblical commentators who can, but they say that these first two verses of Isaiah chapter 64 are a bit of a shambles in Hebrew. They're not poetically written um, and well-polished, it's it's an it's a earthy, raw cry for God just to break through. It's an emotional cry for God to break through. And the prophet knows that when God breaks through from heaven to earth, His presence manifests itself. Just like a fire sets fire, sets ablaze, sorry, just like a fire sets sticks ablaze and causes water to boil, God's presence manifests itself. We can see the result of it. He says, mountains shake, nations quake, and enemies know the name of God when He manifests His presence. God's presence is tangible. God's presence transforms the environment in which He manifests it. And Isaiah knows this, the, the prophet who wrote this chapter knows this, because he can call to memory the way that God has manifested His presence in the past. In verses 3 and 5, he goes on to say, For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Uh, and so it's likely the prophet is recall, recalling the history of Israel where God's presence manifests itself on Mount Sinai and it shook and the, the mountain was as if it was on fire and, and, and the people of Israel said to Moses, well, you go up there, we'll stay back here because of the the." awesome manifestation of God's presence on the mountain and it says in verse 4 since ancient times no one has heard no ear has perceived no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who what who wait for him no eye has seen any God besides the Lord who acts on behalf of those who wait for him The unique thing about God is not just His unparalleled power, 
that he is the maker of heaven and earth. That certainly is something unique about him. But the prophet identifies here that the uniqueness about our God compared to other supposed gods is that he uses his power and his might for those who wait on him. God acts on behalf of those who wait on him. But this waiting is not a passive thing. It's not an ambiguous thing. It's, it's not a, a, a sitting still thing. It's an active, persistent, unflinching trust in God. And so I, I, I want to read you this description that a guy named uh, John Oswald, who wrote a commentary on this part of Isaiah, I, I, I just want to read it out to you because he just captures what it means to wait in biblical terms so beautifully. He says, Biblically speaking, to wait is to manifest the kind of trust that is willing to commit itself to God over the long haul. It is to continue to believe and expect when all others have given up. It is to believe that it is better for something to happen in God's time than for it to happen on my initiative in my time. And so waiting on God is an unwavering trust in Him. It is an unwavering belief in Him that that keeps persistently waiting on God when all else have given up. It's a persistent desire to continue to come before God and wait upon Him and ask for the what that you are waiting for and trusting in Him to bring the what into your life and not trying to manifest it, bring it about in your own strength. Waiting on God isn't passive. It is active, deliberate, intentional, persistent. It's, it's this cry of Isaiah, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you that you would manifest your presence in this space. So if that's what waiting is, again, what what I want to ask you this morning, I said it's the only point I had this morning, is what are you waiting for? What is it that you are waiting on Yahweh, the God of heaven, the creator of heaven, heaven and earth for? I'm reading this excellent book at the moment. It's called The Circle Maker. And someone bought it for me probably about seven years ago. And I started to read it and I was a bit meh. Um, And for a number of reasons, I I, I got prompted just to remember that that's on my shelf. And um, it's the right time for me to be reading it because God's just um, enriching me and my prayer through it. Um, And and he, he says on page 22 of this book, In terms of our our, our prayers and coming before God, he says, Now here is the problem. Most of us don't get what we want simply because we don't know what we want. Most of us don't get what we want simply because we don't know what we want. So the thing is, you need to know what you're waiting for. Otherwise, you're probably going to be waiting a really long time. If you're sitting at a train station, which there's 
Let's imagine Sydney, because there's only really one or two that come through here unless you're going to catch a freight train. But if you're sitting at a train station at Redfern in Sydney, train after train is going to come in. But if you don't know which one you're waiting for, you'll never know when to jump on it. You'll be waiting a long time if you don't know what you're waiting for. And the same is true uh, in our faith. If we don't know what we're waiting for, then we don't know when to jump on it. We don't know when to glorify God for it. We don't know when to give thanks for answer to prayer because we don't know what we're actually wanting God to answer. And so the the prophet in Isaiah chapter 64 has a very clear understanding of what he is waiting for. And we're going to jump to verse 10 to 12 for a moment. We'll jump back to where we finished off. But in verse 10 and 12, he says, he says this to God, your sacred cities have become a desert. Even Zion, that is a name for Jerusalem, is a desert. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where your fathers, where our fathers praised you has been burned with fire and all that we treasure lies in ruins. After all this, O Lord, will you hold, back, hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? And, and so the, the prophet here knows what he's waiting for. As I said, it's likely that the, the people of Israel, the, the remnants of the exile, have been returned to Jerusalem. So they're no longer waiting for return, but they're waiting for restoration. The city of Zion, Jerusalem, is in ruins. It's a desert and desolation. The temple in which God is worshipped is in ruins. And so when when the prophet Isaiah says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, what he has in mind, what he's waiting on God for, is that the city of Jerusalem, that Judah, the, the, the promised land, would be restored, that the people of Israel, God's people, would be restored to it, that worship would be restored in the temple. He knows what he's waiting for. He's not asking for some ambiguous... It'd be nice if God's presence kind of showed up and we could, you know, enjoy that for a while. He has a very clear picture of what he's waiting for. You need to know what you're waiting for. We need to shift from just general prayers of God do some good stuff to specific faith-filled prayers. And so in the circle maker, a few pages over in, in, on page 26, uh, Mark Batterson says this. The more faith that you have, the more specific your prayers will be. And the more specific your prayers are, the more glory God receives. Amen. Let me read that again. The more faith that you have, the more specific your prayers will be. And the more specific your prayers are, the more glory God receives. And so to grab, uh, I thank Emma for kind of doing the sermon for me this morning before, during the testimony time, but but to grab onto, though it's not an answer to our prayer that they would leave, of course, but, but to grab onto, they prayed specifically into the area of Nick's employment because that was the space where he'd come stuck and grieved and the answer came in the area of Nick's employment. Um, though I'm filled with curiosity and I'm guessing in my head about what the other specific thing that Emma can't share with us um, is, but she's, she's clearly prayed about a specific thing for a long time and God has answered that specific thing. And so, so we give God glory for that. 
It's not just a, oh God, I'm feeling down, let some nice things happen. And then something nice happened and then we go, oh, maybe that would have happened anyway. When we pray specifically for the what that we're waiting for and God answers the what, then His glory, the glory He receives from that is so much greater. And so what are you waiting for? What is in your heart that would cause you to cry out these words, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down into this what? What manifestation of God's kingdom and God's will do you want to see take place? In your life, in your church, in your family, in your community, in your nation, in in the planet that we inhabit. What are you waiting for God to do? And so I've been encouraged by by this passage of scripture and and as I said, by my reading of the circle maker so far, I haven't finished it, but... But I've been encouraged just to think about, well, what am I waiting for? And, and on our Vision Sunday, I shared a while ago that I'm just encouraging the church to look towards and think towards and pray towards 200. That, that God would grow this church towards 200. And, and the reason 200, I said, is because it alliterates nicely towards 200. Because we have 200 chairs, there's nothing magical about the number of 200. But what sticks in my heart is the 6,000, at least in Yas, that don't know Jesus. And so 200 is a tangible step towards that. And so I'm praying for that number because also that's beyond what I can do myself. Though I need to partner with God in that, of course, I need to be loving and leading people towards Jesus. But, but I pray for 200 because when this is a church of 200 people, who gets the glory? God. We shared during our meeting uh, two weeks ago that, that over the course of this year, we've uh, functioned in a deficit. We're not in debt, but we will be soon if we don't um, shift this. We've, we've functioned at a deficit of about $8,000 this year. Um, and, and so uh, we have about 7000 left in the bank. And so if you can do the maths, we're not going to get through next year. And, and, and so... I'm going to be encouraging the church to give. We need to, we need to give more. There's no escaping that truth. Where uh, The only other way is to sack the pastor. Um, you can reduce your cost by doing that or to cut his time. Um, and, and I don't believe, not just because I'm the pastor, but I don't believe that's what God's calling us to do as a church. And so we need to give more. Uh, but I want God to get the glory, not just to give ourselves a pat on the back because we, oh, we gave more and we just made ends meet. I want God to bless us and we're talking about this word overflow next year. And so what, the what that I'm waiting for in our finances is I want to see a, an offering of $130,000 next year, which is about a $25,000 step from where we are. Of course, if it's one hundred and twenty, I'm not going to go, oh, God, you failed us. But But I'm... I'm wanting to put my faith in God and pray for a specific what because I want to see Him get glory for it. Of course, I want to encourage the church to give, but but I want to pray into that. There are specific people in Yas, and I'm not going to name their names because that's not fair to them, but there are specific people when I think about towards 200 and, and well, that means that, you know, we don't want to just rob everybody from the other churches, uh, even if we could do that because that would not be kingdom growth, that would just be shifting people around. I don't believe that's what God primarily wants for us or wants for us at all. But, 
But, I, but I mean, I, for me, that makes me go, well, there's got to be people in our town that don't yet have faith, that need to come to faith if we're going to grow towards 200 or grow at our all. And, and so there's specific people in our town that I'm in relationship with, that I'm praying persistently and consistently that God would open their eyes and that they might believe in Jesus. There, there's a very specific what. And so I encourage you, as part of your what you're waiting for, to think about and to pray for specific people, not just that people might come to faith, pray that, but that there would be people in your sphere of influence and relationship that they would have their eyes open to belief in Jesus. Pray for not just those what's or who's, but for some what's to take place. On page 43 of the Circle Maker, Mark Batterson says this, Nothing honours God more than a big dream that is way beyond our ability to accomplish. Why? Because there is no way we can take credit for it. And nothing is better for your spiritual development than a big dream because it keeps us on our knees in raw dependence upon God. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to use your imagination. What would your family look like? What would your town look like? What would your friendships look like? What would your workplace look like if God's kingdom reign was fully manifest there? What would your world and the community you live in, your sphere of relationship and influence look like if God's will was fully done there? Use your imagination and then start praying for that what? Start waiting upon that what. When you think about that what thing or person or situation or lack of a thing stirs in your heart, even with a faint whisper at the moment of this prayer of the prophet in Isaiah 64, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. What stirs with that cry within you? What is beyond you that only God could do? What is God putting on your heart to wait for? What are you waiting for? And, and so when you know what the what is, then, then the, the prophet goes on to say that, well, we need to call upon the name of the Lord. And so in Isaiah chapter 64, verses 6 and 7, he says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We, are, we all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or even strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made our, us waste away because of our sins. And so the prophet says, All our efforts at righteousness are filthy rags. That, that our attempts to be righteous in our own capability is actually self-defeating and hopeless and our efforts of cleanliness are actually disgusting messes. But this side of Jesus, we've been made holy and righteous without blemish through faith in Jesus. 
And so the specific problem that Isaiah is talking about here, that the inability of us to achieve our own righteousness has been dealt with by Jesus. We are made righteous by Jesus, but it still points to the truth that our efforts to do God's will in our own strength are hopeless. We cannot do the what in our own capability. We cannot bring God's kingdom and His will by our own strength. If we try, we'll fail miserably. If you know the story of Abraham, who God promised that he would be the father of nations and that his wife would give birth to a child and and he was waiting on that for a long time and eventually he gave up and tried to do it in his own strength and had a child with his concubine and we know that the story of that goes on, that that caused unending problems and strife, not just for Abraham, not just for his children, uh, but in an ongoing sense for the people of Israel. Wipe down to the present day. And so our attempts to do God's will in our own strength are futile. We need to partner with God. We need to journey with Him. We need to, to, to trust in Him. And we do need to work hard, but we need to do it calling upon the name of the Lord. The prophet says, No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. So when you know the what that you're waiting for, we need to call upon the name of the Lord for it. In James chapter 4, verse 2, he says this, he says, You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. See, it's not enough to know the what that we're waiting for. We need to call upon the name of the Lord for it. We need to ask God to rend the heavens and come down and manifest His presence in the space of the what that we're waiting for. We do not have because we do not ask God. We must call upon the name of the Lord, but we also need to call upon the name of the Lord in accordance with His will. In verses 8 and 9, the prophet goes on to say, Yet, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay, You are the potter. We are all the work of Your hands. Do not be angry with us beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray, for we are Your people. So God is the Father, we are the children. He is the potter, we are the clay. We are His people. We belong to Him. And so if you were here for part of our, uh, our relearning how to pray series, you would remember that we were talking about as God being our Father and primary to our prayer life is connecting to God as Father to us as His children. And also, we talked about during that series that because God is our Father and we are His children, we glorify His name, but we also pray not for our own desires primarily, but that His kingdom would come and His will would be done. And so this morning, I'm not, though it may, may, the thought might be in your mind, well, aren't I now contradicting that? Didn't I say then we pray for His will and for His kingdom and now I'm saying we've got to pray and wait on God for the what that we want to see take place. But what I am saying is the what 
that we wait on God for as his children, as his people, as clay in his hands is a what of the kingdom, a what of his will manifest in our place. So when I say, what are you waiting for? I say, what manifestation of God's kingdom, of his will, of his presence are you looking for in your life? In James chapter 4, he goes on to say, he says, you don't have because you don't ask God. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So I do believe that God delights to give his children good gifts. He does care about you enjoying life. But the what that you're waiting for needs to be of him, for him, by him and through him. Not just for your own selfish desires. We pray God's kingdom to manifest. We pray for God's kingdom to manifest and his will to be manifest. That is to say, our our prayers for the what we're waiting for are to be in alignment with God's plans and purposes. Our Our prayers are for God's glory and not for our own selfish desires. In Psalm 34 verse 7, the psalmist says this and And you may have heard this before, but it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And and so I believe that this means uh, uh, two things, in fact. That when we delight ourselves in the Lord, when we rejoice in Him, when we praise Him, when, when He is the source of our joy in life, He will fill us with kingdom shaped, God's will shaped desires. As we delight in the Lord, the God who desires all people to be saved, we become filled with the desire to see the 6,000 people in Yas who don't know the name of Jesus be saved. He fills us with that desire. I don't care enough about those people to be filled with that desire in my own strength. That comes from my delighting in the Lord and so I'm filled with a deep desire that those people would be saved. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, He fills us with God's will, God's kingdom-shaped desires in our life. But also when we delight ourselves in the Lord, when we put His kingdom first, as it says uh, in, um, in, in the Gospels, that when we seek first His kingdom, all else will be added to us. And so when we delight ourselves in the Lord, the Lord will uh, delight in fulfilling our desires. And so, and so this is about aligning ourselves through, through worshipping, through delighting in who God is, through delighting in His Word, so that the what we're waiting for becomes God kingdom shaped, God's will shaped. That His will may be done in us and through us. So what are you waiting for? Some of us this morning will 
just at the asking of that question about a list off a whole bunch of things and there'll be things that are they're so in your heart that you're just crying out for God for that that what is an obvious answer for some of us the thought of, of having a what that we're waiting for might be a, a new concept that, that, that our thought of well, trusting in God means that we just kind of cruise along and, and wait for whatever He kind of puts on our plate. And, and so for some of us, that idea of, of thinking, well, what am I waiting for God to do to manifest in my life? That, that thought will be so abstract to us that we, we just don't really have a, a, a what to think about. Let my encouragement to you be to dream big kingdom-shaped dreams. Dream big kingdom-shaped dreams about what God could do in your life, about what God could do in your church, about what God could do in your community, about what God could do in this town, about what God could do in your family. Dream big dreams about what God's kingdom fully manifest in the world around you would look like. Whatever jumps out of that in your heart that you say, yes, God. Whatever in that is the, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, heartfelt cry within, within those dreams. Wait on God for that. Tell Him what it looks like. Tell Him what your dream is. Invite Him to set twigs ablaze, to boil water, to shake the mountains in your world, that he would come down and manifest himself. Pray specifically and pray persistently. And so the, the team's going to come and lead us in worship. I'm, I'm going to pray, but I want to leave you with that question. What are you waiting for? Advent is a season of waiting. But it's not a season of hopeless waiting because we wait for Jesus coming again based on the promise that He has already come. And so in this season of waiting, grab hold of what you're waiting for and bring it before God. And so let me pray and then let's worship. So, Father, I pray that you fill us with big kingdom-shaped dreams. I pray that you fill us with a desire to wait on you for things that are far beyond our own capability and to wait on them specifically and persistently that your name would be glorified in our life, that your name would be glorified in this town that your name would be glorified in this church and in our families I pray that you would fill our waiting with what yeah Father and I pray that you give us yeah persistence in the waiting intention in the waiting desperation in the waiting that we would wait on you to rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. 
And we pray this in the name of Jesus who has already come and has promised he will return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.